Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. The Mandarin Blueprint Podcast is a Q&A podcast that we release once a week, and it covers the questions, comments, and also grammar points that come in each week. And we have a plethora of comments that came in this week that are quite useful to anybody learning Chinese, but particularly to those of you who are using the Mandarin Blueprint Method video course or the Pronunciation Mastery video course to learn Mandarin Chinese as quickly as possible. So uh, if you've never listened to the podcast before, that's what you're in for. And we're going to start today with a grammar point. Today's grammar point covers the tag GW connector, which basically just means a conjunction, Despite this, still that, lian si, sui ran, dan shi. So this is a structure that uses two words in conjunction, sui ran and dan shi. So basically you have sui ran and then a clause followed by dan shi and then another clause. So this is how you say although or even though in Chinese. So essentially what you're doing is you're creating a situation where clause one after sui ran sets up an expectation, and then clause two after dan shi or dan or ke shi sets up how that expectation was not met, either positively or negatively. So let's take a look at some example sentences to illustrate how this works. Sentence one. 虽然我的房子不宽, Although my house isn't big, I have a lot of flowers and plants. So you'll note that the English translation doesn't have a representation of dan. There's no uh, but. It's not like, although my house isn't big, but I have a lot of flowers. It, you don't say that in English. But in Chinese, it's required. So you want to keep that dan shi or dan in there by, its, by itself uh, before clause two. But regarding the actual sentence, you can imagine, you know, any any sentence that's on its own lacks a little bit of context. So we can sort of illustrate a contextual situation where somebody might say this sentence. So you can imagine that there's a, a young man and he's talking to a lady that he's keen on and he wants to set expectations. And the expectation is, So my, my house isn't that big. But expressed that despite what one might think of somebody with a small apartment, he actually has an excellent taste in decoration. So that's an example of where he's trying to set up that expectation, uh, but also say despite that, there's this good thing here. So let's take a look at another sentence. Even though it snowed today, we still had to go to school. So the expectation in this sentence is that if it snows, the school will be closed. So that's why the speaker says sui ran, because the school was in fact not closed. Now, this is an example where you can see how simple some of these conjunctions are, because you have sui ran plus a clause, and then dan shi plus a second clause. But what if you changed it from, instead of sui ran, dan shi, you changed it to yin wei suo yi, which is something we talked about in a previous grammar point. So imagine that you're in Guangdong province, where it doesn't snow very much at all. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if it ever snows there. But suppose it did, it would be one of those things where people go, Oh my gosh, it snowed. We have to close down the school right away. So you might say, uh, which would mean like, because it snowed today, I won't go to school. And in Guangdong, where it, uh, you know, it would seem as night follows day that if it snows, you won't go to school. So you wouldn't say there would be no expectation that it was being unmet. So that's how simple Chinese grammar can be. Let's take a look at one more example here. This is from one of our stories about flower fairies, which are called hua xianzi. So let's take a look at the sentence. Hua xianzi shi zhu zai hua li de ren, sui ran ta men he ni de shou cha bu duo da, dan ta men neng zuo hen duo ni zuo bu dao de shi. Flower fairies live among flowers. Even though they are only as big as your hand, they can do lots of things you can't. So one might imagine that if a fairy, a hua xianzi, were only the size of your hand, that it would not be more powerful than you are, it's a natural in, uh, inclination, but it's that expectation that influences the speaker to use sui ran, because although you have that expectation, fairies can do many things that you can't. So that's an example, again, where there's an expectation that is not met, so that's why you use sui ran and dan shi. So as usual in your flashcard software, if you'd like to see more of 
the sentences that contain this particular point, you can uh, click the tag in the sidebar and keep an eye out for these moving forward. As usual, input is the key with any grammar point. Don't worry too much about trying to think about the rule. Just notice it and read many sentences that have it and you'll acquire it naturally. Let's move on to the comments and emails that we received this week. The first one is from Jason Pond in the community forum. He says, hi all, quick question to see how other people review movie review cards. I deem a successful review for myself being if I can recall the pronunciation keyword and write the character. If I can achieve this without recreating the entire story in my head, I am okay with that and I move on. For example, some newly learned characters I may be able to recognize and recall rather fast without having to recreate the entire movie, which may result in my script, props, actors, and set, any combination thereof, not being explicitly recalled in my imagination. Do others review in a similar way, or do you actually think through the entire script, even if you may already get the character slash meaning rather easily? Would there be any caution against reviewing characters without a full script review? Or is it expected for movies to eventually take a back seat and let instant visual recognition take over thanks in advance? So this is a great question. It's a question that comes up a lot, actually, because uh, what is the purpose of the mnemonic scene? Is it to remember the scene forever? Well, no. The purpose of the scene is to get you to remember the character long enough so that you can then see it in context. So uh, as you keep building characters, we eventually uh, show you those characters in the context of words. We then show you those words in the context of a sentence, which will then give you another layer of reviewing the character. We'll then show you the character in the context of uh, a paragraph or a larger story, in which case you'll get yet another layer of understanding the character. So all you need to do with the scene is be able to remember the character long enough so that when you get to the words, when you get to the sentences, when you get to the paragraphs, that you're not uh, forgetting what the character was in the first place, which is the problem with rote learning. If you rote learn, it's very easy to forget a character and then have to start over again. Now, that said, what's nice about Anki and the two different types of cards that you have is that if you were to forget anything, you have a very simple method by which to improve your memory of the character, which is to go back into your memory palace, find the area that was weak. Maybe it was you forgot a, a character component, which means that one of the objects to represent that character component could have been clearer, or it could be that you uh, forgot the uh, person who was in the scene, which means that you forgot how to pronounce the character. But all you got to do is just make something happen in the scene that emphasizes that particular element a little more clearly, and then you can uh get the scene back. Now, if you do remember everything about the character, well, then success. You've succeeded in, in getting to the point of the scene, which is just to make the character memorable long enough so that you can then see it in context. And when you see anything in context enough, uh, that's enough for your memory to put it into your long-term memory banks and remember forever. So once you get to see it in, seeing it in context, you'll remember it the same way that you remember uh, every other like, I mean, in the same way you remember a new English word that you might run across, like you see it in context enough times and you go, OK, now it's a part of my uh, passive vocabulary. Well, the same thing will happen with uh, seeing characters in context. So essentially, the mnemonic visualization is just a bridge to get you from knowing absolutely nothing to seeing the character in plenty of context. Next, we have a post in the community forum from Christopher Weeks. He says, Good evening from Xiamen, China. I have just purchased the Pronunciation Mastery course and I'm a potential future subscriber to the Mandarin Blueprint Method 2. I came across Mandarin Blueprint when researching some different websites and ways of learning Chinese back in April of this year. I first started learning Chinese in 2013 while working as an ESL teacher in Fuzhou as a free class run by a teaching assistant at our school. Over the next three years, I did a lot of self-study, mainly using Memrise, over 15 million points, HSK past papers, HSK 1 through 3, and by the time I left in 2016, my reading was adequate due to my method of study, but I was still lacking in speaking, listening, and writing, although typing was fine. I moved across to Taipei and then realized I had to do everything I had done before, but now in traditional. Back to Memrise it was for a bit. Then Chinese fell away from my life for a bit as I was so busy with work. But I did manage a few months of classes using uh, the A course in Contemporary Chinese series for a few hours each week. However, again, I lost some passion for the language after hitting a wall. Last year, I returned to Fuzhou 
time for simplified again, and I realized I had forgotten most things. I self-completed HSK1 and HSK2 textbooks in my spare time and managed a few conversations, but could never find an in-person tutor which fit my timetable. Ta Fast forward to 2020, and now I am in Xiamen. I have set myself a goal of starting HSK4 by the end of 2020. I would say I am quick at reading the HSK1 through 3 vocabulary and tried a few different sites and methods in April to experience a few different learning styles. This is how I discovered the Mandarin Blueprint website. Now I've joined, I am interested to see the impact of the materials on my learning journey. One thing. I have never had is community or support in my Chinese journey, as it has been quite a solo effort with many of my colleagues loving living in China, but with little effort by themselves in learning about the culture and the language. Now I have rediscovered the passion for learning Chinese again. I have realized the importance of community, and it looks like Luke and Phil are encouraging this with their approach. Looking forward to browsing and hopefully participating over the coming months. Well, uh, we're looking forward to that too, Christopher and you know, the Mandarin Blueprint method is uh, the type of course where you're going to be able to solidify your past knowledge and make sure that it's uh, not going to be forgotten again. So maybe you'll remember many of the characters that we cover in the Mandarin Blueprint method, at least in the foundation course. I bet the intermediate course you'll find a lot of new material. But uh, even if you've seen it before, it's good to make sure that you have it down. Like you want to know with every character, you want to know the components, you want to know the pronunciation, you want to know the tone for a certainty. And if you're not certain, then how are you going to remember them? Well, the Mandarin Blueber method makes sure that you have a method by which to remember any character forever. So uh, I wish you best of luck. And yeah, the materials you were using before are way less fun than the Mandarin Blueber method. So you're going to have a great time. Um, yeah. And we'll see you on the course in any comments and of course in the community forum. Neil Rogers on the video bonus, Principle versus Reality in Mandarin. Wow, Luke, Phil, and Annie, I'm hooked. I actually feel confident with this material that I can learn standard Mandarin. I'm not going to rush pronunciation. I really like the bite-sized videos and being able to download the bonus material. I'm planning on going to Shanghai and Ningpo in October 2021 to visit friends. Nice. Well, that gives you plenty of time. That gives you about 15 months until you can uh, properly uh, pronounce everything, and you'll know a lot of characters, and I bet you'll have a great time. So, uh Fantastic, Neil. And yeah, you can take it at a reasonable pace. There's no huge rush. As a matter of fact, like you can definitely overdo it in terms of how much you do per day. So, uh, you know, it, it, at the beginning, especially uh, take it slow. And then, you know, that's sort of revving up the engine. Eventually, you'll be able to go considerably faster. Natalia Kovalenko on now just look at how solid that foundation is, aka the final lesson of the foundation course. She says end of level 36 already. Wow, that was fast. Just under three months. What a great ride, having a lot of fun all the way. The best course I've ever found. You both are amazing for putting this together. I can't believe I'm reading fairy tales in Chinese. Isn't that cool? Uh, by phase five, we introduce a longer form content, and that's something that Natalia is getting the sense of right now, and many of them are sort of fairy tales. Uh, we kind of alluded to them in the grammar point this week of uh, the um, the flower fairies, Hua Xianzi. And uh, yeah, so that's great. Fantastic, Natalia. I'm so happy for you getting this far. And I think that, you know, as you move forward into the intermediate course, you're going to smash it because you've been doing very well. I mean, doing the foundation course in under three months is well fast. So uh, good job. Joseph Glover on simple final U, U introduction with ku and wu in the pronunciation mastery. I'm beginning to see how inferior all the other courses I have taken are to Mandarin Blueprint. I have literally thrown away my life studying other courses. Well, you're not throwing away your life now, J uh, Joseph. <laughs> that's uh, that's awesome. That's fun. That's such a funny thing to say. I mean, like, obviously, you probably got some value out of other courses you're using. You can get value out of almost anything that's teaching Chinese. It's just a matter of, like, it... it Often the theory is bad or you don't know how to take the material and make it better. So that's what Luke and I have been trying to... Uh, uh, facilitating people for a long time. So uh, <laughs> congratulations on uh, now finding a good way to make sure that you uh, stop throwing away your life. A Julie Henschel Lund on Mandarin Syllables Introduction. I've always had a problem with pronunciation, especially the initials Z, C, and R. As a Danish speaker, we don't roll our R's like in Sweden and Spain, so that has always been my worst enemy. Now, the Chinese R doesn't sound the same as the rolled one of those countries, but it has a position I'm not used to. 
So far, I'm confident that this course is the one of the best out there. Also, the fact that you've included both female and male voices shows that you're considerate of both genders. This fact is often neglected. I've used a lot of platforms to learn Chinese, but this is the first one to do so. When I also watch Chinese dramas, the pitch level is also higher for females than males, despite the tones. I just simply cannot wait to see how my progress will be in just a month. Well, it sounds like you have a great attitude, Julie. And uh, yeah, of course, you know, as you get to the beginning, the reason we call uh, the certain initials problem initials is this because, you know, many languages, uh, English is obviously where we're starting from, but many languages don't have the sounds that are in Chinese. So, of course, they're going to require some more work, but uh, you'll get it. It's just a matter of time. Uh, you know, your mouth muscles are smaller than the muscles in the rest of your body. So, in the same way that you can make your muscles stronger, bigger, more flexible in your body, you can do the same thing with your mouth muscles. So, and they'll, it'll happen faster because they don't take as long to develop. So, you're well on your way, and it sounds like you have uh, an excellent outlook. Fiona Toy on nasal final yung, dian yung, and ming tian. I'm curious if replying bu yao is another potential answer to the first question. Uh, and the question was, ni yao bu yao qu kan dian yung. And so that's a way of saying, uh, do you want to go to see a movie or not? Uh, and the answer that we put in the lesson is bu qu. Uh, but she's asking, could you also say bu yao? I mean, after all, the se- the sentence is phrased in a way that says uh, yao bu yao, which makes you think you would say yao or bu yao. But we say the right response to it is bu qu. And really, it's not that saying bu yao is wrong. It's that saying bu yao is, uh, as she surmises here, it's harsher. It's a little bit ruder. Um, if you say bu qu, it just comes across as like, oh, yeah, I'm not going. Uh, as opposed to bu yao, it's like, I don't want to go. Not with you. Ugh. Right? It's got that feeling of like, it's a bit harsh. It's a bit impolite. Um, it's not something we would want you to say. So like, I mean, it is possible. And, and again, as you get better at Mandarin and you have great context for what you're doing, you could probably find a way to say bu yao and make it not offensive. But it's just something that you don't want to worry about right at the beginning. And we certainly wouldn't want you uh, being rude in your early days of learning Chinese. So that's really what it comes down to. Uh, it's not that it's wrong. It's that it's, it's not that it's grammatically wrong. It's just a little bit tactless to say that. Next, Jason Pan on Make a Movie for Hua. I noticed that the stroke order for the seven component here is different from the character for Qi. Here, the slanted line is drawn top right to bottom left. In Qi, it is drawn bottom left to top right. Any reason why? So there are some changes that will happen to stroke order when the uh, when components are put together. So, for example... T by itself, there's more room, so the uh, stroke is really kind of like a slightly slanted horizontal line, whereas uh, when it's put together with another component, the it, it changes to being, a sp- technically it's called a pie, which is uh, a top right to bottom left slant, uh, which we represent with a samurai sword uh, in our, if it's by itself. But obviously you have the whole component as a representation. Maybe you have seven, you have dice that represent seven, and that's your component, you'll imagine. And it's because uh, it's a little bit easier to write when you have, uh, when you don't want to come into contact with the other component when writing. So for like, if you imagine you write the Zhen component on the left first, and then if you were to write the um, line from left to right, you'd risk uh, intersecting with the Zhen component. I mean, this is all just speculation as to why it might be this way. The point is sometimes when components are combined and they're squished together, that'll slightly change the stroke order. But when this happens, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Like you'll you'll figure it out as you move forward. Like stroke order, this is just a general rule. Stroke order is not hard. It's never been the thing that's caught people out. I mean, like it's like I'm not saying you'll always write things with perfect stroke order, but like it's very rarely uh, a huge problem for people, so I just wouldn't worry about it too much. Next, we have Gareth Edwards on Bonus, this secret will put you light years ahead in Chinese. This is an interesting video and makes sense. Would you not uh, say that trying to speak as much as possible is not helpful? A friend of mine who speaks fluently really recommended I go out and just speak as much as I can to not be nervous and in spite of errors and so on. Any thoughts? Your video makes sense though. Thanks. So the point we were making in the video is that input must come before you can output properly. And, uh, you know, there's... 
obviously a gray area here, but certainly in the beginning, your focus should be highly on input. And the reason is, is because like, it's impossible for it to be the other way. So the, imagine you said your focus should be on output before input. Well, if that were the case, then what are you basing your speech on? What knowledge base are you using to say words? Because you haven't taken in the input. So like in the most extreme example, if you haven't ever heard any Chinese ever, then what are you going to say? Right? Like you have nothing to say. And then, okay, let's take it to the next example where like people have heard others speaking Chinese and they don't understand any of it, of, of it but they can kind of mimic it. Well, like in this, this sort of stereotypical uh, Chinese sounds that people will make when they're trying to mimic or mock how Chinese sounds, right? Even that is based on having heard some Chinese, right? Now, uh, it's still like, you know, but clearly it's still not enough. You have to keep inputting, keep getting that input into your head. And then what happens naturally is you have something to say. Now, I will say this, after you've gotten a significant amount of input, there is a degree of like having to not worry so much about whether or not you're going to make a mistake. Cause the answer is yes, you will make mistakes. Of course you will. Uh, I can say that with writing, it's a good idea with writing to try to have perfect writing, really think about it. But that's cause when you're writing, you have time to think about it. And so, you know, that can be very useful. There's a great article on a website called antimoon.com, which is about English learning, but it's basically about language learning hypothesis. And it, it's a, a huge advocate for if you're struggling with what to say, the response to that in terms of how do I deal with this should be listen more and read more, especially reading. And so what naturally happens when you get loads of input is that the words that are the right words to say naturally pop into your mind because your brain has something to call back to. There's some time where you were listening to that Chinese podcast or you were reading that article or you were reading the translation of Harry Potter in Chinese and it, come, it comes back to you because there's something that you've experienced in the language that your brain can latch onto and our brains are incredibly powerful at finding that information and then providing it to you when the time comes. Now, you do have to output in order for your brain to go back to latch onto something. So they do work in harmony and conjunction. It's just what comes first output. No, can't possibly be output that comes first. It has to be input first. Uh, but great question. And I'm glad that you're uh, thinking this stuff through Gareth. Darren Rieger on make a movie for Hall. Sometimes you learn interesting things about the culture at the time of the character creation. I guess at the time when the characters were created, woman plus baby equals good. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. The two components here are are uh, woman and uh, child. So it's kind of like you you combine those two and a woman holding a child. Well, this is good. And sure, why not? Uh, so it is pretty cool how um, Chinese will give you these little insights into uh, either their own past, but also just uh, a way that you could think about the world. So it's kind of cool. Next, we have a question from Nacho on It's a Word for Zai. Hey, Luke and Phil, I'm sorry, but I don't really understand the last sentence. I'll come to see him first, then go, which is, uh, Where is supposed to be the then word, or how can I understand it better? Thank you very much. Well, th this is, of course, the uh, lesson for it's a word, zai. And you'll notice that above this sentence, we do say usage to the translation of zai is then, when a time is established first, which in this case is xian. 我先来, which means first. I'll do that first. 我先来看他再走. So I'll first go see him, then I'll leave. And so um, you could use other different uh, contexts um, for this. You could say, uh, 3 o'clock, 我三点来看他再走. Uh, and so that's just basically saying you're establishing some sort of time frame or uh, relative time or, or specific time in the case of Sandian, and then saying what you'll do and then what you'll do after that. Right. So uh, that's why die, which means, you know, uh, again, it's like in this case, it's more like 
I'll take one action and then I'll take another action. So it's the then part of it. So that's the second usage of die. And usually the most common pairing you'll see when it's uh, this usage is with xian. So xian, do something, then die, do something else. Julie Henshaw Lund on Compound Final Owl. She, has a, she says, I have a question about third tone and fourth tone. Whenever I say the fourth tone, it almost always ends down at the zombie level, which is that sort of uh, brains, third tone sound, you know, how. It isn't as strong as the third tone, but I can hear it at the end. Is it right to say that the half third tone is deeper than the fourth tone and that it shouldn't touch the zombie level? Uh, no, because the, the fourth tone, the thing that makes the fourth tone so distinct is how high it starts. And of course, the third tone never is high. It's all low the whole time. So, you know, how, 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 like it starts high. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like how, and sure, oh. Oh, at the end. How? If I were to hold the final t pitch there, it would be low like the third tone, but it starts so high that you could never mistake them for each other unless you don't start high enough. And that's the thing that sometimes people will do with fourth tone, the mistake they'll make. I've made this mistake when I first started, is I'll start the fourth tone too, um, too low. So, for example, instead of ma, I'll say ma, ma. And then it's very similar to third tone because you're starting too low and therefore you're, it's just middle and low. Uh, whereas if it's high and low, ma, 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 right? Then you're not going to confuse that with ma, ma, which is the third tone. So uh, hopefully that helps clear that up a little bit. As long as you start the fourth tone high enough, they should not have any, you should not have any trouble distinguishing them. Another one from Julie on pick a prop for uh, the, uh, single vertical line, Gandalf staff. So you're, you're, she says, well, let's just look at this. So far, I find this so much more complicated than just remembering the character and what each component literally means. I hope this method will be useful for me in the future though. It sure will be. So first of all, you're not even out of level one yet. So it's too early for you to, uh, come to any conclusions about whether or not the method is going to work or not. Uh, I appreciate that you're concerned, and that's totally fine. I complete it, It's totally normal to be skeptical in level one, and as you continue forward, it's totally normal to realize, oh, I see how this is going to work. But I will say this to remember now, for now, Julie, which is that you're saying, I find this so much more complicated than remembering the character. Well, yeah, if the character is really simple, sure, but what about when it gets more complicated? And what about when there's more iterations on the character that have, you know, 20 strokes in it or different components that are used similarly but not quite exactly the same? Like, there's 3,000 characters you want to eventually learn. So, you know, you can't just memorize a character as easily as you can, like E, which is just a horizontal line or sure, which is just a horizontal line combined with a vertical line. Sure, those are simple, but that's why we're starting with them. Start with simple and get more complicated. It's not going to stay this easy to just memorize a character by itself. Uh, so when you are trying to remember more complicated characters, what do you do? Well, the best thing to do is to come up with mnemonic scenes to remember them because that's what plays to the strength of our evolutionarily adapted systems of memory within our own minds. Next, we have Barry Hill on Make a Movie for Dan. I'm really enjoying this course, but some of the movies don't stick and I can't remember the Chinese or the English word. Do I need to slow down? I understand the method and I have written down all my movies so I can uh, refer back to them. I also keep a list of actors and sets. Every time I get a mental block after having a go, I go back and read the movie again and think about the connection. But some are not sticking. What do you suggest? Well, Dan, I believe, is in uh, level six or seven, maybe. So you still have another uh, six levels to go before we kind of say, okay, we've covered all of the different special effects that you can use. I can recommend reading our script trigger document that's available in the sidebar as well as the special effects document so that you can get uh, troubleshooting issues. So if you can't remember a scene, it's because there are there are elements of the scene that could be made more memorable. So it depends on what it is. Suppose it's a, you forgot a prop. You so see, you forgot a character component. Well, maybe you could make that prop more bright and shiny. You could make it bigger. You could make it, uh, 
do act in the scene more based on its nature. So, for example, sometimes people will make a scene, and one of the scenes is a samurai sword, which represents pied, that, that single stroke from top right to bottom left. But it'll just be like their actor holding the sword, and the sword won't really interact in the scene. So you think, okay, well, what does a sword do, though? Well, a sword cuts things. A sword stabs things. A sword uh, could, you know, help uh, to prop something up if you stuck in the edge into something else. You know, there's there's different ways you can imagine using the object the way it's meant to be used. Uh, so that's for props. Maybe you forgot the pronunciation of the character, which means that you could get the actor more involved in the scene and more... Uh, you could have close-ups on their face. You could have um, slow motion. You could have background music come on. There's there's actually almost endless things you could do. So again, we call this the hands of movie method. So think about movies you've seen. Think about how the cinematographers will change the light, how they will move the camera in such a way to try to get uh, capture certain emotion. They'll close. They'll zoom in on a facial expression. They'll um, use sound effects. There's so many things that. Uh, people will use to try to make a, an emotional punch happen in a scene. And so you're early enough in the method that uh, you haven't utilized all of these different possibilities yet. So as you continue forward, just keep trying out these different special effects or, or script triggers or ideas for how you can uh, get across uh, certain meanings. That, like, there's a number of reasons why you might not remember. And as you get better at these scenes, you'll have more in your toolkit for... Uh, remembering individual uh, characters and the different elements to them. So hopefully that's helpful. Rebecca Webble on Senjur Xiaoju, The Three Little Pigs, Paragraph 2. She says, what does this phrase mean? I can't come up with a sensible meaning. It's the qing that doesn't make sense to me. So xia de. So xia means to scare or to be frightened, right? And if you add de after it. So, like, for example, I could say, which means I'm running very fast. Or So, like, the de after a verb, right? Uh, speak verb de. And then the adjective that describes the verb. Okay? So, how were you scared? How frightened were you? Well, so... Qing means light, but it can mean light not literally just like this is a, a light object, as in not heavy. It can also mean like light is in emotions or things like that. So if you're xia de bu qing, it means that you have been scared out of your sense of feeling light and airy and kind of chill, right? So like that's essentially what's happening there. So how did you get xia? Xia de bu qing. It's like that. Hopefully that clears that up. Next, we have Rick Anglin on Make a Movie for Man. I was surprised to think there could be a hanzi meaning Manhattan. So I looked it up and found it's mostly used for the sound of man in foreign words. But its original, original meanings include long, vast, handsome, etc. It's also used as a phonetic component, but I could only find a very few hanzi using it as such. So, right, so like, this is an example of where... Uh, we teach this character because it's a major component in a much more important character uh, for slow, the meaning slow, which is also pronounced man. And, uh, but it is a character that's used in certain contexts that we would recognize. For example, Manhattan, which means uh, Manhattan. Now, we're not saying that this character means Manhattan in and of itself. We're just trying to give you something by which you can remember the character and make a mnemonic scene for uh, so that you and, and also to try to teach you that this character's most common meaning is in transliterations, which is exactly what Rick picked up on. Uh, so yeah, we'll do that sometimes. And it's not, you know, it's not to be remember what we're trying to do here. We're trying to remember the character uh, in its most useful form. And we're also trying to create uh, components for other characters. So essentially, that's why we did that. If we didn't do this, then you'd have to use four components to remember, four props to remember the character man, which means, uh, which means slow. And, you know, four components plus your actor, plus your set, plus your room in the set, uh, plus they all have to interact to make something mean slow. It's a lot to remember, whereas if it's just two components, then it's easier to remember. Helen Lamont on preview the Mandarin Blueprint Method. Completed this a while back, but just been doing my Anki deck and remembered to ask you about Xiao Jie. 
uh, miss slash prostitute? Is it really that interchangeable in standard Mandarin? So uh, the word xiaojie originally meant miss or like a young maiden. Uh, and it has come to mean prostitute as well. And this is one of those things where I understand why people be like, geez, that seems like two such different words that how could they possibly uh, be, you know, how could you distinguish between the two? And it's like, it really just comes down to context. Like if I'm in a formal setting and I meet uh, a young lady and I introduce, uh, I say hello to her as like, uh, you know, 你好, Wang Xiaojie, uh, she's not going to think I'm saying, uh, hello, uh, prostitute Wang. Like she's not going to think that that's because obviously that's not the context of the setting. Whereas if you're walking in the Hohai district of Beijing and you're walking past a KTV bar and a guy goes, uh, "Hey, you, you want a xiaojie?" Then he probably doesn't mean a young lady, right? He probably means a prostitute. So a lot of it is very um, contextual. Then you might ask, well, how the heck did Xiaojie come to mean prostitute? And I would guess, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would guess that it comes down to uh, trying to say something tactfully um, when you can't, for some reason, say prostitute. Like the word for prostitute is jinu. Um, but suppose that you're trying to hide your illegal prostitution ring from the police, you might say, oh, I've just got some young ladies here. You know, it's, it's just a it, – language does that all the time. It's like the, the PC language to try to uh, avoid being, um, you know, seen for what it really is. Next, William Beeman on casting call for art. He makes a good point here. He says, one of my mentors explained to me that learning is like pouring liquid into a small funnel. You can't pour too fast or the funnel will overflow. You have to let the liquid in the funnel flow through the small hole slash tube at the bottom before pouring more in. I find that cramming too much material in at once is not productive. Your mind can't absorb a ton of material all at once. Uh, rest and slow but regular pacing has always been the key for me. And exactly, I completely agree, William, and that's why you know we break down our course into individual lessons and individual videos that focus on one thing, like uh, how to remember if a character is pronounced the R pronunciation or how to remember an individual character component or an individual character or one new word. We always try to take it step by step and then you can process each individual thing as it is. And then you can take breaks and you can make sure that you're not uh, going too fast and so forth. So that's fantastic. Great attitude. Beth Perrazzo on It's a Word for Shaw, which means few. And the uh, sentence, she has a question about a sentence. What does the word bay, which has a meaning of blanket or quilt, have to do with this sentence? Am I missing something? Bu shao mian, bei gao chi la. And so you're going to see loads of sentences like this, Beth. So bei does mean uh, blanket, especially when it's in the word baits. So when it's baits like that, then yes, it is a uh, quilt or a blanket. Uh, however, it also has a secondary meaning of a to be a passive indicator. So what this sentence means is, so bu shao mian, that's the subject of the sentence. So not, uh, like, so basically a lot of noodles were by the dog eaten. So it's a passive, uh, it's a passive indicator. So uh, a lot of noodles were eaten by the dog. Uh, so obviously in Chinese, it's by the dog eaten, but in, in English, we'd say eaten by the dog. And so, uh, and you could say, and usually when you use this passive indicator, it's something negative, like, oops, we didn't want the dog to eat so much of that, those noodles, but it's happened. It's been, they've been eaten by the dog. And uh, I wouldn't worry too much about the grammatical structure of this yet. You'll see loads more of these sentences as you move forward. Uh, and uh, a grammar lessons in the cards as well. We're working on that. Uh, there's plenty of articles online about how to use bait. But basically the structure is something plus bay, then the thing that, uh, like in this example, go, it's like, so by the dog, by me, by uh, the markets crashing, by whatever, like something that is the thing that is uh, doing the action, and then the uh, the action. So, bei gao chi la, bu shao mian, bei gao chi la. So, by the dog eaten. Interesting question from Rick Englin on it's a word for mu. The sentence is, 
And the translation given is, is this a female horse? But isn't it asking, is this a mother horse? If so, could one also say, mama? And um, you could probably colloquially say, mama. But I think that um, w- where the confusion here comes from is that mu only means mother when it's only a morpheme. So we've talked before about how characters can be, are always, pretty much always morphemes, but they're only sometimes words. So uh, if, if we imagine the word constrained, the word constrain is a morpheme and the word, and this, and the letters ed is a morpheme, but ed is not a word. It just indicates past tense or, uh, and so it's like the constrain, you have a word morpheme and ed you have a non-word morpheme so when mu means mother it's not actually a word by itself you have to combine it with something else to to create the word so for example mu qin is the full word for mother or fu mu is the word for parents so this is an example where the word uh where mu means mother but when it is by itself then it means female of animals it means female for animals so I have a cat named Rick, and Rick is actually a mu mao. When I got Rick, I didn't know that Rick was, I was told that Rick was a, a gong mao, which means a male cat. Uh, and turned out, I found out, because uh, Rick was a little kitty when I first got her, that she's actually a, a mu mao, a female cat. And she was already called Rick, so I, I didn't change her name. Um, and so, but... There may be a word uh, in Chinese for a specifically a horse that is um, a mother horse that's given birth, but I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't find the the like um, zoological term for that. So, but I do know that you could say this. You could say if you wanted to ask, "Is this a mother horse?" about an individual horse, the horse here, is this a mother horse? You could say, "这匹母马生过驹子吗?" Because is a uh, a foal, a young horse. So, shengguo. So, shengguo would mean has ever given birth to. So, guo is the experience indicator, and sheng means to give birth to. So, shengguo would mean to have ever given birth to. So, muma. This female horse, shengguo, ever given birth to, juzi ma. So, that's the uh, way you would ask that question of whether or not a horse has given birth before. Next, Heath Campbell on It's a Word for Ju. He said, now I get n. It's adding a polite tone to non-yes or no questions. Is that right? Yeah, that's one of the usages of n. So, um, uh, that would mean... When are you coming over? And by asking, putting n at the end, you're being just a little nicer about it. You're being polite about it. Um, and the thing is, though, you can use n in other ways. Like one of the ways to use n is to indicate something that's presently happening. I'm currently standing. And by adding n at the end, it's just one of the ways that you can say uh, happening currently. So in that case, it's not the um, question version of it, but you're right. If it's in a question that's a non-yes or no question, and you put n at the end, it's basic usage is to make it a bit more polite. Rick Angeland on New Vocabulary Unlocked, kan shu. He says, how do kan shu and ren zi differ in meaning? Is kan shu the act of reading and ren zi the ability to read? That's right. Yeah, that's pretty much the difference. So kan shu implies that you are able to ren zi and you're actually taking in the content, so you're you're reading the book. But the ability to zi means it's like you know your ABCs if it were English. You know, it's like you are able to tell apart different. You know, so if you're not if you're new to Chinese, you cannot zi. You can't understand the different characters on the page. So you're not able to kan shu if you can't zi. So zi comes first, and then kan shu is the you know, actual act of reading where the point isn't to be able to recognize the words, it's to recognize the point of what the words are saying. Jiggy J Dietrich on It's a Word for Ji. Does Ji Bu Zhu in Arzi Zong Shi Ji Bu Zhu Wo Shuo Da Hua? 
have a meaning on its own. I'm a bit confused by the ju. Does it mean to firmly forget something? Well, this is that structure of verb bu result or verb de result. So there's a structure in Chinese called uh, verb hao, which is basically like you have a verb and then the result of the verb. So uh, chi is a verb to mean to eat. Chi wan means that you ate and the result is you're finished. Or chi hao, that you ate and the result is you're good. Or chi bao, you ate and the result is you're full. Chi diao, you ate and the result is that it's entirely gone. So you ate, you took an entire hot dog and you chi diao, so there's no more left. Um, Ji means to remember. Zhu means to live or reside. So what would that mean as a result? Well, you ji until it, you remember until it lives in your brain. So it's a way to say memorize. It's actually quite poetic, you know. So ji zhu means to memorize. And so ji bu zhu or ji de zhu. What the, they're saying there is can or cannot be done. The verb can achieve this result, in which case you'll say du, or the verb cannot achieve this result, in which case you'll say bu. So ji bu zhu means you can't memorize it. You can't, unable to memorize. And so in this case, uh, so it's kind of exasperated. The son, he can just never remember what I say, right? Uh, and so if I were to say ji de zhu, it means it's memorizable. It's possible to be memorized, right? So that's what the ju stands for there. It's the result of the verb. Rick Engelin on It's a Word for Yo. In response to yu, yo huole guolai, is guolai serving a grammatical purpose here, or did the fish literally come over? Yu, yo huole, would seem to be enough to express the fish is alive again. Or is it sort of saying the fish came alive again? So, you know, yu, Yo So what what's the guolai doing there? Well, you know how we'll say come back to life in English? I mean, like technically you didn't literally come back in a physical sense, but we have a sense of there being like if you briefly died and then you came back to life, that there was like a journey that you went on, right? So uh it's sort of similar to that. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with saying uh yu yo uh, but if you say yu it sort of feels like a um, a bit more specific. Like it's like uh, in this moment, oh, yu like come over and see. Like it it came back to life, and so it you know this is again one of those situations where I think it's not necessary to overthink these things. It's like we know this sentence is correct grammatically, so probably no need to overthink it. But uh, it's just kind of like that. Come back to life. Well, okay, so you came back. Uh, well, did you literally come back? No, but you were there the whole time, I suppose. But you, there was a change of state that happened, and so it's similar to, to how we would say that. Next, we'll move on to the full mnemonic movie scenes shared this week, and we'll start with Chad Ressler on Make a Movie for I, which means to love. Location is his old trailer in the backyard. The actor is Jackie Chan, to represent the null uh, initial. And the props are Talons a crown, and his best friend, Aaron. My wife and I are hanging out with my best friend, Aaron, and his wife, Haley, in the backyard of my old trailer, which I just want to point out is an extra uh, because she's related to Aaron, so even though she's not in the scene, he can add her in. Jackie Chan is there, and he has been tutoring me in Chinese. It is Aaron and Haley's anniversary, and Jackie has prepared something special. As we are all sitting there, Jackie has two trained birds of prey with crowns on their ta in their talons, Fly in and lower a crown down on each of their heads as they are crowned king and queen for their special day. In each of the crowns, the word love is bedazzled with multicolor rhinestones. Once Jackie's ceremony is complete, they dance the night away wearing their crowns. Sure, and of course, you're, the fact that you were able to use uh, Haley, Aaron's uh, wife, as, a, uh, as a, an extra, you're able to get across the idea of love there because, of course, they uh, have love. And then you've got the talons and the crown. I make sure the talons are quite uh, emphasized and all of that, but it seems great. Awesome. Fantastic. And, of course, it makes sense that best friend Aaron would be the choice for the prop there because the bottom prop is the uh, character of a friend. 
Mason Royal on Make a Movie for Ta, which uh, this is the female version of Ta, meaning she or her. Tracy Morgan, acting like Tracy Jordan, is outside the entrance to my A set. He's wearing red lipstick, which is his prop for new, and eating french fries, which is his prop for uh, the right side component. What are you doing, Tracy? I ask him. I wanted to look like her, he says, while pointing to a billboard advertisement of a woman with red lipstick eating french fries. <laughs> sure, sure, that's that's fine. Yeah, and of course, I don't think you're going to have any trouble remembering Ta anyway, because such a common character. But still, I like this whole thing. And uh, yeah, excellent scene. Mason Royal on Make a Movie for Leo, which means six. Jennifer Lawrence walks into the bathroom of my OU set. She sees a beret, which is the top component, with a six written on it. Interesting, she thinks. She puts it on and then looks at herself in the mirror. Immediately, animal legs grow out of her body. Damn it! Six! Six limbs! I should have known, she yells out in frustration. I usually use an eight ball for ba, but this one came to me easy and representing six while using an eight ball sounds tedious, right? Sure. Uh, and of course, it is true that if you grew two animal legs, you would have six limbs. And that's not that's not an abstract representation of six. It's a visual representation of six. So I like it. Uh, excellent scene, Mason. George on Make a Movie for Xie. For xie. Just as Angelique Kerber arrives in my uh, in front of my E set, a horde of porcupines passes. Nice. Some of them stop and snuffle noisily, but there, but there the Weasley twins arrive. They have already caught a few of the porcupines, but not yet all. Um, sure, I can see that what we have here is we have the Weasley twins representing the R at the bottom. And we have the porcupines representing the top component. And, of course, this character means few. So a few leave behind, and the Weasley twins arrive, and they already caught a few porcupines. That's probably okay. Um, I would say that this is... Um, it might be easy to forget that the meaning of this character was few based on this. So you might want to have something uh, that is a little bit clearer. Um now, for me, when I see few, I think of the movie A Few Good Men, which has that famous line of Jack, Jack Nicholson saying, you can't handle the truth. So Tom Cruise's character is interrogating him, and Jack Nicholson says that iconic line, uh, which is why like, I might be um, inclined to want to get something like that involved. It could be another association with few. Uh, I just worry because it's like, that's easy to forget that that was the point of the scene. So, you know, it might work for you, but with that type of thing, it might be a little tricky to remember six months down the line. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Guy, which means to change or to uh, transform. Gabriel is sitting in the chair at the hair salon, hoping that the hairdresser can alter his appearance. She looks horrified because instead of hair, Gabe has snakes slithering on his head. That'll be the left side component. Gabe explains that the only way he can get them to alter their slithering is to hypnotize them with a rhythmic drum beat. The hairdresser brings him the drum and she just happens to have behind the counter, uh, the drum that she just happens to have behind the counter, and as Gabe quiets the snakes with his playing, the hairdresser begins removing them one by one. Gabe, his appearance completely altered, gives the hairdresser a huge tip and leaves the salon. You know, what I like about this one is that that's one of the things that is kind of a trope of people looking different is they got a, got a haircut, especially if their hair was particularly long. They get the haircut. It's a big alteration to what they look like. It's a big change. It's a big transformation. So that representing the um, meaning here is actually quite, quite good. I, I like that. Rebecca Weeble on Make a Movie for Ho. There is a fancy dress party taking place in the kitchen of my OU set. Hugh Jackman is drunk and being a rabid Australian Republican when he spies Dwayne Johnson, the man prop, dressed as a nobleman, which is the character, uh, the meaning of the character. He throws a razor blade and a dart at Dwayne in anger at the display of monarchical privilege. Dwayne grabs a horse head off the wall. Uh, to save himself and the razor 
and then dart thud into the taxidermy, right? Right. So he pulls that he pulls down the horse head and that off the wall to save himself and the razor and the dart thud into the taxidermy. Right. So we have the horse head, the razor and dart and the Dwayne the Rock Johnson all ending up together and the meaning of it is that Dwayne the Rock Johnson is dressed as a nobleman. And of course, this is primarily uh learning this character is primarily to learn the next character which um is a moment in time, Shamashra Ho, uh, because this, so like the nobleman character Ho is not that important, but you did a good, good job of putting, fitting them all together and creating the, um, the different props to create the meaning of nobleman. I like it. Della Fuller on make a movie for ghoul, which means ancient. Gandalf is in the living room of my childhood home. He is holding a large ancient cross and telling me all about its interesting ancient history. He is trying to point out the interesting ancient runes and symbols that are present on the cross, but the Rolling Stone's mouth has invited his annoying self to the lecture and can't shut up. It just doesn't know anything about the history of the artifact, but doesn't stop talking anyway. Finally, Gandalf loses all patience and shoves the cross right into the mouth to shut him up. Gandalf continues, as I was saying, the ancient symbols on the cross here, and this is here signify. Yeah, I like this idea. Of course, Stella has brought up many times before that the Rolling Stone's mouth uh, has an annoying, overly chatty personality, which is uh, she keeps bringing back, and that's that makes it very hard to forget when uh, there's consistency there. And so um, I think pointing out the ancient runes and treating the cross as an ancient artifact should be enough to remember it. Uh, I think that's fine. Stella Fuller on Make a Movie for Zool. Zeus is in the backyard of the Oval, and he and the Rock have something important to do. They must pull Excalibur out of the stone. The crowd is quiet, and the only sound is a gentle drumbeat to help the heroes focus and to build suspense. Zeus tries first. He grabs the handle and pulls. No luck. Then the Rock gives it a shot. No luck. No luck. What are they going to do? They confer quietly together and seem to come up with a plan. They walk confidently towards the sword. The crowd hushes. The drum beats. Zeus grabs one side. The rock grabs the other side. One, two, three. Did they do it? Yes, they did it. So, um, sure. I, I think that that's probably okay. I mean, certainly the scene is very uh, uh, vibrant. And, you know, Zul is a character that, because it has such a simple meaning of to do, um, you know, it's it, you'll likely not have a problem with it. Um you know, one of the things that they could potentially do, I mean, there's a couple other associations with do it. I mean, of course, do it could mean to have sex, so that could end up happening. Uh, there's, um, you know, tool can also mean to cook, so we can maybe get that involved, you know, to make something, to cook something. Uh, it's kind of in the realm of do. So you could maybe add those to make it a little clearer, but still, this should be fine because, um, as I say, with, with characters like this that are so common and you're going to use all the time, uh, all you got to do is get it from now until you see it in context, which you'll see it in context very soon since it's so common. So it should be, it should be okay. Mason Royal on Make a Movie for Jewel, which means like uh, the doer of something. Moses is in my classroom at the e-school where I work. The sun is streaming in the windows and making it difficult for him to focus on the lecture he is giving the students on plagues. George the custodian comes in with his tool belt and can-do attitude. When he notices Moses' discomfort, he quickly marches over and adjusts the blinds so that the sun is no longer in Moses' eyes. Moses gratefully shakes George's hand. George shrugs his shoulders, points to himself, and explains that as a custodian, it is his job to be the doer in the school, to get things done. Yeah, so do is like... um. It's just sort of the person who does whatever comes before. It's a morpheme. It's not a word by itself. So you'd say, for example, zijul, that uh, the record, the person who records, which is basically the journalist. So like zijul or the huanjul um, uh, is the a patient. So somebody who is huan, they've they've uh, gotten a disease. That's what huan means. So huanjul is the one who has gotten the disease. So they're the it's the person who is the doer of the previous thing. In this case, it's more passive, like they got a disease. But yeah, so that uh, scene seems clear enough. And uh, awesome, Mason. Simone Papadopoulos on Make a Movie for Tong. Terry Crews is in the kitchen of our old flat in Amsterdam. 
Nice. Naturally, he is topless and covered in baby oil doing that pectoral flex thing he does. He is dancing around the staff, practicing a dance routine with my sister to Village People's YMCA when he spots me and says, check out our new routine. Dancing ensues. I distinctly remember how impressive their synchronicity is. Just as the chorus begins to peak, Terry runs out the back of the kitchen and returns uh, wearing a yellow hard hat driving a forklift. <laughs> nice. He drives directly into the stereo and it blows up. There is a short silence before my sister turns around and shouts, you idiot, our dance moves are supposed to be identical. <laughs> right, so there's synchronicity, uh, you know, the it looks like maybe the hard hat is the uh, external part of the component, and then we have uh, the forklift, and just make sure where we're getting the... Da, 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 da. Just seeing where we, the, the final components would be here. Yellow hard hat, forklift, and uh, stereo, I guess. Those are the three main things she brings up here. Yeah, I suppose the stereo could be the uh, component for mouth there, because you, you, know, you could have the mouth component there. It, it would be helpful um, if, when you guys are writing your scenes in, to make your props, like, show what your props are, either by delineating them in, by making them metallic or something, or just by writing them out at the beginning. You did this with uh, Terry Crews in the old flat in Amsterdam. So you did that with the pronunciation, but the props, like it's a, I'm not exactly sure, which tells me that, you know, perhaps like, I like the idea of synchronicity and everybody being identical in their dancing. That's a good way to get across the meaning, but uh, I'm not sure which of the props represent what. And so, you know, you might want to make that a little bit clearer if you're ever uh, posting these comments. Della Fuller on make a movie for uh, Doe, Donald Trump and Nike are at the entrance of my OU location. Nike is indicating with an outstretched arm that she would like to enter the building, but there is a brick wall in the way. Donald points to the wall and explains how he has totally blocked the entrance with his totally amazing way so that unwelcome guests will totally be blocked from entering. <laughs> Nike shakes her head, skirts around the end of the wall, and enters the building, totally ignoring Donald's stupid wall. <laughs> Nice. So, um, yeah, so the brick wall is a representation of the right side component, uh, and Nike is the representation of the doer, because just do it, right? So she's the, uh, or is Nike a, I can't remember whether Nike is a male or female god, but uh, certainly a god. And so, yeah, she, oh, her, yeah, she, she. So um, I like that. We got the two components very clear, and we're using totally and all all totally, you know, and that's very Trumpian to have the, that kind of hyperbole, so I like it. Alex Sumray on Make a Movie for Duan, which means short. David Brent is in the lounge of my AN set. He's taking Mr. Bean to have his hair cut. A Native American chief is the barber. Nice, so there's our two props. Uh, short back and sides, please, fella. Mr. Bean is annoyed. Uh, don't be short with me, young man. <laughs> Double usage of short there. The chief gestures, different fingers, asking Brent what number razor to use. Brent puts up one finger, very short. Cut to a shaven-headed Mr. Bean. Right, so we got short hair. We have don't be short with me. I like that. It's just a little extra thing. If that were the only thing uh, indicating the meaning, then it might be not enough. But the short hair is a, a great representation of short. So awesome. Like it. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Lal, meaning old. Luke from Mandarin Blueprint comes into the living room of my AO location. He sees Moses sitting in the armchair with a long gray beard and wrinkles. Obviously an elderly man. Luke asks Moses if he is hungry, and Moses replies that as a matter of fact, he is quite hungry. Luke puts a bowl and spoon beside Moses on the table and ladles in some hot, nourishing soup. Once Moses thanks him and begins eating, Luke asks him if he has ever thought about learning Chinese and assuring him that no one is too elderly to learn a new language. Right. Nice. Yeah, I like it. Uh, everything is very clear and uh, also hilarious. I like that Luke would be trying to convince Moses to learn Chinese. <laughs> Della Fuller and make a movie for Xiao, which means filial piety. Sharon goes into the bathroom to see Moses' child combing his long hair while Moses tells educational stories. The child is obedient and listens carefully, a paragon of filial piety. Uh, sure, I mean, I think that that's uh, probably clear enough. You could maybe have 
some indications of Moses clearly giving the child some kind of obvious order to which the child immediately acts. I mean, maybe in your own mind, you were already doing that, Della. Just if you're going to do this uh, scene to make, you just want to make sure that the child is being super obedient to the whole time and, and very like makes some facial expressions, makes some clear like gestures, like, like Moses is clearly saying, go do this and do that. And the child is just like, yes, sir. Yeah. All right. Nice. Della Fuller and make a movie for Jiao, which means to teach. Jessica is in the backyard of my AO, AO location. She is sitting beside, beside Lisa Simpson with two drums in front of them. Jessica is teaching Lisa basic rhythms and beats. She creates a rhythm on her drum, and Lisa imitates it on her drum. The rhythms get more and more complicated, and Lisa is laughing in delight. She hugs Jessica and thanks her for teaching her to play the drums. Yeah, sure. Great. We got the... I guess Lisa's the representation of filial piety, and that makes sense. And then we have the drum on the right and the teaching. Yeah, sure, you're using the props as they present themselves. Like, if there's a drum there and there's a child like Lisa, then teach the child drums. And, um, sure, I taught drums before, so that would that scene particularly works for me. Darren Rieger on Make a Movie for Zhu, which means as if or similar. Rick from Rick and Morty is in the kitchen of my childhood home, and as he and he sees the Rolling Stones mouth, he wants to ask it out, so he gets dressed in his finest lingerie. He walks over and starts to ask, ask it out when it says "as if," like the quote from Alicia Silverstone in the movie Clueless. He keeps asking it, and he keeps saying "as if" to him. That quote was so iconic to me growing up. It's perfect for a situation where the outcome is totally unrealistic, as if anyone would want to date Rick in lingerie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, generally speaking, we do, we don't recommend using uh, words to remember things like like audio audio words, but because it's so clearly connected to this movie that you've seen and it, it has that emotional uh, punch, I think it's perfectly fine. Dan Helslut on Make a Movie for Yen. Rolling Stone's mouth wearing a top hat flies into the kitchen of my AN set where it's, where he sees twin. Uh, Y.I. actresses reading hentai manga <laughs> in, scene, in scene zoom in on the dirty covers. The mouth tips his hat and says, I see you too are men of culture as well. <laughs> Look at all this splendid literature. Yeah, I like that it's a joke because, of course, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you would actually call that literature, but that makes it uh, ironic and different, and so I like that. Um, Sure. And then, of course, the meaning of the character, again, is literature, words, or that type of thing. Final scene for today, Natalia Kovalenko on Make a Movie for Pay. The actor is my friend Pablo. Location is my neighbor's bathroom. And the props are a bottle of Korean soju and a snake eating itself. Pablo is in my EI location when he suddenly sees a snake eating its own tail. He, uh, he's... Startled by the snake's dining choices, but stays cool, telling the snake that he's famous for being able to match a drink to any food. He then takes out a bottle of Korean soju, opens it, and holds it to the snake's mouth, saying, Pay! Drink in Russian. A perfect phonetic match there, if I do say so myself. <laughs> snake drinks and admits that the taste of its tail and soju perfectly match each other, which is, of course, the meaning of pay. And so, excellent scene there from Natalia and... Yeah, we'll leave, we'll leave it at that. Thanks so much for listening to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Please go to mandarinblueprint.com to learn more about our unique method for learning Chinese characters, words, and grammar, and, of course, pronunciation. Uh, we'll see you here again next week.